0: Hello, and welcome to our Secular Overeaters podcast series, where you'll hear from speakers who have found recovery from food and other addictions without God. For additional information, go to secularovereaters.org. And now let's get to today's podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Secular Overeater sponsor panel. My name is Carolina, I'm from Germany and a compulsive overeater. We have four sponsors on our panel today. You'll hear a variety of styles and approaches, and you'll hear some similarities too. Please note that our panelists today were not selected because they know the right way to be a sponsor. They are simply here because they have sponsored other secular members, and when called upon to do service, they agreed. Thank you, panelists, for being willing to share your experience, strength, and hope. So we have seven questions for our experienced sponsors. Our panelists will answer the questions in alphabetical order by first name. That will be Megan, Patrice, Sarah, and Stacy. We'll start with the most obvious question. Please share your name, how long you've been in program, how long in secular, and the number of secular sponsees you've worked with. Over to you, Megan. Hi, everyone. I'm Megan. I'm an addict, and my drug of choice
1: is food. I've been familiar with 12 Steps almost since I was probably maybe a preteen. I had several family members who got sober in 12 Steps, and I went to my first meeting when I was a teenager, but I, um, it didn't stick, and I came into OA for the first time when I was 24. And I did that for a couple of years. I never really found abstinence, though, which I think partly it was because I was still using some of my other substances. But most recently, I got sober in Alcoholics Anonymous about almost six years ago. And then I came into secular OA about two and a half years ago. Thanks.
2: Hi, everyone. I'm Patrice. I'm a compulsive overeater. I first went to OA when I was first recovered from um, drug and alcohol addiction about 17 years ago, only went to a meeting or two and and decided I needed to keep researching. And um, about two and a half, two, three quarter years ago, found the desperation needed to come back to the rooms, stayed for six meetings, heard the message I needed. Maybe a a half a year after that, I actually stumbled upon Secular OA just looking for a a meeting that suited the time I was looking for a meeting and and doing this COVID times thing of just looking online for meetings and just really appreciated some of the experience, strength and hope I've heard and witnessed in these, these rooms. And so ended up having a secular sponsor, a sponsee through that experience and uh, feel honored to be included in this panel this morning. Thank you.
3: Hi everybody, I'm Sarah D in Annapolis, Maryland. And I've been in OA, uh, since August of 2016. So about five and a half years and abstinent for that time. My primary bottom line abstinence is no, uh, no flour, no added sugar. Um, however, that's been, I've been amending my food plan quite a lot lately because I've been finding a lot of loopholes and, you know, there's sneaky ways that we as addicts can still kind of work around the boundaries we set. I'll just leave it there. But um, secular, I've been in secular OA for about a year and a half. And I've worked with three or four sponsees. I think four actually overall, but my, I've only worked with one definitively secular sponsee i'd say some of my other sponsees were kind of one of those in between places where they didn't have a traditional notion of god but i've only had one for the past seven months who is is fully like from the beginning of our relationship secular the last thing i'll say about that is just that it's really secular oa in particular is really neat and it's expanded the reach of people i've been able to sponsor or have as accountability buddies Um, just as an example my sponsee um we have incredibly different lives she is a doctor in india Um, And I am here on the East coast of the US, but she found me in a meeting that virtual, you know, everyone is welcome from all over the world. And, and we find we have quite a lot in common because of this disease. So it's pretty neat Uh, and I'll leave it there.
4: I'll go. Um, I'm Stacy, compulsive over and under eater in Tennessee. And I've been in program for over nine years and I was struck abstinent because I was a good girl and I needed affirmation and acceptance very early on. Um, and so I wanted to, um, you know, get all the gold stars, but it did turn into my abstinence for the first year and a half. I did not have any sugar in the first five ingredients, and I did not have any wheat. And so since then, I've had wheat. And my abstinence is more so defined as not having desserts, not having anything that's you know overtly sweet and not having any desserts that are marketed as breakfast items. And I have lost over a hundred pounds uh, from my top weight, uh, 50 of that being in program, but also in a healthy way because I have both sides of this. So I, I do compulsive over-exercise, binging, purging. I was full on purging when I came in, trying to manage my weight and uh, exercise bulimia again. And I've been working a secular program for that entire time, but I didn't find uh, secular meetings until the pandemic. And so, which is really great for me because I um, need a lot of variety in my program. And so that was breath of fresh air. And uh, my sponsees, I've had several sponsees. My main ones, some of who are here today, thank you so much for showing up, are uh, either secular or they've been religious, um, multiple different types of religions. Same with my sponsors. Thank you. Thank you. And so um, taking
0: what I can get. Thank you. Thank you for these lovely introductions, uh, secular sponsors. And we're moving on now to the second question. How did you know when you were ready to be a sponsor? Over to you, Megan.
1: So I just to answer part of the question that I missed last time, I worked with two sponsees uh, all the way through the steps. And then right now I currently have three sponsees. And I think to answer the question, how did I know I was ready to sponsor? It's relevant to, someone in the chat asked how we define abstinence. And I did hear too in the recommendations um, that it's recommended that we be abstinent. And while I am abstinent, probably 90 to 95% of the time, for me, it hasn't been perfect abstinence. So. And that definitely wasn't my marker of when I was ready to sponsor. Um, I started sponsoring after I did my fifth step. And I just knew like we needed a lot of sponsors. I knew I had recovery that I could offer. I had an understanding of the steps and I was out of the food enough that I knew I could show up for my sponsee's. And so I think that's the big thing is even when I do have food slips, I just let my sponsors know. But for me, I, it hasn't necessarily been um, a situation of where I felt like I had to be abstinent. Um, I think as soon as you have a little recovery, it's okay to start sponsoring up to where you are.
2: Thanks Megan. Um, so I, I heard somewhere in the literature that um it's appropriate to sponsor up to the level of the steps you've completed and for some reason I assumed when I was doing my first set of steps with my sponsor that I just wouldn't do any sponsoring until I'd completed the steps and that's what it turned out to be for me when I did complete the steps that first time with my sponsor he gave me a great gift of a a journal, like a kind of 10 step journal and that green pamphlet that, um, Kay showed us uh, earlier, a little bit of other stuff around how to sponsor people. And, um, and I knew from an early point in the program, how rewarding service could be, you know, I'd been encouraged right from the start of attending meetings to help out with putting chairs away. And I was the, I was one, I was my home groups, um, secretary for six months and you know i knew that those experiences kept me in community and i knew that isolation was a big part of my problem and so as soon as i finished that first set of steps i figured i'm i'm gonna try it and um i uh you know it it took a while before anyone asked me to sponsor them and uh I've had various levels of completion in working the steps with, with sponsees since then, and I'm still learning how to sponsor. So I'm really happy to share these answers today to, as a par- part of that uh, reflection and learning. And with
5: that, I'll pass.
3: Thanks, Megan and Patrice. You guys gave me some good food for thought for my own answer. Uh, this is Sarah again how did I know I was ready? The The glib answer is when somebody asked, uh, but it was more complicated than that. So one thing I have learned about sponsorship is that, Although we can make ourselves available as supports, I think it's not considered kosher, so to speak, in OA to like offer your services unless somebody has actually requested them specifically for sponsorship. Not to be coy or anything, but just, you know, making ourselves available, letting them know that a sponsor is recommended. Um, In my case, I, similar to what um, one of our other speakers said, I felt like I should wait until I was at least in the midst of step four and five, just to make sure that I didn't get lapped by sponsee, because it took me a while to get to that place. It took me a long time to get through step four and five, and I didn't want to rush my own process just for the sake of um, of making sure that I could get along faster than a sponsee. That being said, I am definitely of the opinion that if you have experience, strength, and hope to share, then really at any point, maybe even earlier than step four and five, you could be a good sponsor, or at least a temporary sponsor to someone. Um, because in my opinion, a sponsor is primarily a loving witness to someone's process. And if you have some experience of recovery in the program, then you can reflect back to that person ways that they're making headway, even ways that they can't see in themselves. In fact, especially if they're struggling with abstinence and with getting, you know, putting a couple days together or or getting over the hump of the steps and translating it to a secular perspective. I think that even somebody who's fairly new to program can offer to be at least an accountability partner, if not a temporary sponsor. So that's what I would say about that.
4: Thank you, everybody. Um, this is Stacy. My personal experience was that I uh, didn't become a sponsor until I was told that I, that I was, I guess, approved um, from my sponsor to be a sponsor. And that was after I finished my first amends. Uh, my first sponsor uh, was luckily, she was not a Judeo Christian. She followed a Hindu based religion and she, that's how she was led through the steps that's how she led me through the steps and that's how I lead people through the steps just personally. But our OA literature, uh, has a lot of different suggestions on that. So, you know, I'm really grateful to hear all the other options that are out there. And, and, um, so after the first amends, um, usually in my experience, mine and my sponsees were usually to our pets. Um, then I say that they, um, that myself, I felt comfortable enough to sponsor at that point. And uh, the abstinence um, part for me is is more of the non-negotiable. If someone is not abstinent, then I wouldn't suggest that they uh, personally, again, wouldn't suggest that they sponsor anybody.
0: Moving on to the third question, what do you expect from your sponsees? Hmm, I had
1: to think about this one as far as what I expect from my sponsees. Um, So this kind of answers another question that we're going to touch on later. But the first thing I do when someone asks me to sponsor is I have them leave me a voicemail every day for 30 days. And in that voicemail, I have them say three things they're grateful for. One thing they're powerless over and then what they're going to do for their recovery that day. And um, those voicemails are a way for us to just get to know each other. um, But also for me to see their dedication, because for me working with a sponsee is a big commitment. It takes a lot of um, it's emotional. Like I, I care about my sponsees. It takes a lot of space in my, my heart and in my life. So I think what's, What I expect is that they're committed and then I find too that really steps one through three are most important to working the rest of the steps. So I really need to feel like we have those steps down before we can move on to the rest of the steps. Thanks I pass.
2: Hi um thanks um I, I tell sponsors, uh, sponsees, uh, what someone told me early on, which is that three meetings a week is a good program. Two meetings a week is a good effort. One meeting a week. Good luck. So, you know, I just, I, I, I haven't ever checked on someone's attendance and, and like literally asked them how many meetings did you attend this week? But I've, I've considered doing that because like I said, I've had, more uncompleted step, sets of steps with sponsees than um, completed sets of steps, and and I've I've wondered if that had to do with me not being as explicit about that, you know, attending meetings regularly. I mean, for me, that's that's the heart of my program. So you know, I'm I'm just in reading recently. I've seen that it says you're just here to help them through the steps, but I know I wouldn't have gotten through the steps if I hadn't kept going to meetings you know like I mentioned at the start that I attended six meetings and that in this second time in OA and that got me through you know but there was one meeting where I was just about not to go and I really think that was a crossroads in my recovery and you know I had a big breakthrough in that meeting when I finally got to it that day and so I also expect that they honor their commitments in terms of times that we're supposed to meet and talk or or work on step work. And, uh, and yeah, I, I've, I, I also feel really unsure about whether expecting anything from a sponsor other than a sponsee other than asking them to work the steps is really, um, required because that's what it says in the literature uh, in my last reading of it is I'm just there to help them work the steps. So (laughs) I'm kind of unsure at this point.
5: Thanks.
3: Hi, all. This is Sarah again. So I really love that idea about the voicemails. Um, Kind of in the same vein of what I've heard so far from the other speakers. I expect a degree of consistency and integrity with the caveat that I am, I'm very familiar with the fact that when we're in the food and in the addiction, our integrity is, has definitely suffered. I know mine does when I'm in the food. And so I try to extend a bit of grace if there are, but I, but I also, I think there's a big difference between like the people I've had who say they're going to call and like once or twice they miss it. And they let me know why, or they let me know in advance versus somebody who says they're going to call. And then I just never hear from them and it's intermittent. Um, So what I do expect is like the way that I've been sponsored is that rather than leaving it up to chance when we actually talk, we try to set regular times Even if they have to be moved, we try to put it on the calendar and say that for like 15 minutes at a stretch, maybe up to 30, because that's about as much as I can swing, we'll talk two or three times a week. And if they need to be moved, we'll do that together. But we'll we'll know when it's happening and we'll commit to it and we'll show up for it. That's been tricky with the time zone differences um, with some of my sponsees, but we've learned how to do it in the midst of the pandemic. The other thing that I expect, um, not right away, but the other thing that I expect is Right in the beginning, it's just the effort of calling in and trying to be open as much as they feel they can with me about their history with food and what they're looking for out of the experience of sponsorship. Um, And then once they've been in for a little while, I try to have them send at the very bare minimum each day on WhatsApp what they're uh, a couple things they're grateful for and the food that they ate that day, just to be not vague and to make sure that they are reporting it to somebody who they know is going to see it. Uh, and I usually don't comment on their food right in the beginning, but just so that they are getting it out there on paper. Um, so I'll leave it there.
4: Yeah, these are all really great points. And um, I'm Stacey and I usually start out in a very sort of structured way by asking them three questions. What problem? problems, uh, problem foods and behaviors do you have? And I didn't mention this as part of my abstinence, but I do have, I have, um, some food behaviors that I also don't participate in, but those are flexible and those aren't always perfect, partly because I'm really great at denial. So sometimes I don't realize it until later on, you know, so the first question is what foods and behaviors do they have difficulty with and helping them work through that? And then what do you expect out of a sponsor? And what can you provide as a sponsee? What should you expect to do for yourself as a sponsee? And then after that, I usually will send them 30 questions. That's based off of one of the OA pamphlets. I believe it's in the guide for sponsors to walk them through the first three steps. I do encourage them to call every day at a certain time. And I tell them I will answer the phone call at this time between five minutes before and five minutes after this time. If you call after that, I'm probably won't answer and I may not answer during that time either, but it's not my responsibility to pick up. It's your responsibility to call and uh, walk them through like, how was your day? What tools did you use? Different things like that. Um, I also will meet with them once a week to, oh, for an hour to work the steps together. And that can be reading the big book. That can be working through the 11-12 workbook. That can be different ways. And then I I encourage them to just be honest, even if they're still eating, uh, because for me, that's part of my disease is dishonesty to myself. So encouraging someone to share either with me or with somebody else, like the honesty of their food helps them to become honest. And then I also joke that by the time that you get to your fourth step, if I am not on that resentment list, you still have more work to do. (laughs) So that concludes it. Thank you, Kate.
0: Thank you. These are all very uh, good tips. And now we're moving on to our fourth question. What do you work on first with your responses?
1: So like I said, I do the voicemails for the first 30 days. And then during that period, um, so in addition to the voicemails, we usually talk at least once or a couple times a week um, just to check in and see how things are going. During that time, I usually have them get started on a red, yellow, green light list. So identifying what their problematic foods are and problematic behaviors and coming up with a definition of what abstinence looks like for them. And then this is, I usually try not to really dive into step work until after the 30 days. I think it's useful to have a little bit of space out of the food before diving into step work, but I will sometimes have them get started on writing a personal history. For me, I identify as an addict, and so food is just one of the symptoms of that. So I find it useful to have them write their full personal history with addiction and the various ways that it's manifested and then a pretty detailed history of their relationship with food. And then when we dive into step one, we'll go over that. But that can just be, I think it's sometimes helpful for newcomers to feel like they have forward motion and that they have something to do. So I think those are good ways for them to get started, even if we haven't started reading um, or diving into some of the literature.
2: So what do I work on first with my sponsees? Um, Well, what i did with my first sponsors so um i share my story with a potential sponsee and ask them to share their story as honestly as they can with me and i let them know that i would like them to attend six meetings before deciding that i'm the right sponsor for them you know i i want them to look around a little for the people that have what they want. You know, I, they might feel that way right from the start with me, but I think it's a great experience for them to get a little more experience in a few meetings and, and see. And, you know, that, like I said, that worked so was such an important part of, of my first weeks in the program. So I feel like just letting them know that's how it worked for me. I, I hope they, they can gain some of the same benefits from doing that. I also encourage them to just talk to the people that they see that have stories that they relate to or what they want and ask them how they are getting it. Um, And to work on establishing some form of a plan of eating, you know, letting them know that um, it doesn't have to be anything like mine, but that some form of a plan is, is recommended. And um you know, I'm, I've got literature that I can share with them if they're wanting a specific guide as to how to do that. And I, I do, I did use the red, yellow, and green light um, list myself, which I found really, really helpful. So I often mention that and offer to share that with people. And yeah, just just starting to check in after that. And I'll pass with that. Thanks.
3: This is Sarah again. So I would say first, first of all, um, before the commitment is made that I'm there, my sponsee and I'm their sponsor, I usually try to take at least a couple of weeks, if not closer to a month of doing a, like a trial run uh, just to make sure that we are a good fit um, so that they don't have to feel guilty if it turns out, especially if they've never had a sponsor before, so they can kind of get a feel for like if it's a good fit for them. And almost like dating, I suppose. And um, the other thing, apart from us getting to know each other, um, and I do usually have them either verbally tell me or actually write out and then read to me their history with food and issues with food. Um, But one really important thing, I think a lot of us have mentioned this so far, is that I, I try to set boundaries and expectations very early, not just to be a hard ass with them, but because I think that it's so critical when you come in as somebody who can't trust yourself at all, you know, because you're constantly breaking promises to yourself every day with the food and in other things, it's just really powerful to see yourself. It, it, it sends the message to your brain, and to your heart, that you're actually ready to make a change to work with the sponsor and have the experience of yourself and somebody else witnessing it of you keeping your promise, like calling when you say you're going to call and writing what you say you're going to write and that kind of thing. Um, so in the beginning, it's pretty like some others have said, uh, it's pretty basic, but um. And I try to, again, be that loving witness. Um, I do try to help them work out at least an initial abstinence with the knowledge that it may change. But I always say, if we're going to change it, we can't just change it on a whim. We have to really kind of talk about it because we don't want our abstinence to become just something that we, you know, that's, you know, mercurial, that changes day to day based on our feelings. And then the other thing I do once about a month has passed, if it seems like they're really staying with it and that we've committed to each other, to that relationship, is uh, what Stacey J pointed out, we use uh, what I think is called the Westminster questions, those 30 questions that are available that uh, go through essentially steps one through three. They're not secular per se, but I definitely tell my secular sponsee, like make sure that you don't don't read into this too literally, like this is really just meant to get your history on paper and to get us talking particularly about what a higher power could mean for you, knowing that it's not gonna be a traditional God or a being or any of that most likely. But if it is, then I tell them I'm willing to still sponsor them because both the sponsors I've had are not secular, actually, and they sponsor me in a secular way. So um, I'll leave it there. Thank you.
4: Yeah, this is Stacey and um, and uh, very similar to uh, what was mentioned earlier. And, and also, um, I found the 30 questions that's in the Guide for Sponsors pamphlet um so the 30 questions is in the appendix and I also encourage so for the first 30 days there's the focus on answering those questions and also most of the meetings that I have with folks or with talking with them is about God or not God and food usually that's like the first two things to really get a good foothold in um I used to be a lot harder with folks because that's how I was first sponsored when I first started sponsoring. And I'd like to think that, you know, as I've worked my program myself, learning that I need a lot more grace and a lot more compassion and a lot more acceptance to give to myself. And so I tried to give that to my sponsees until they're able to give that to themselves. So I tried to lead them through in a very non-shame based way, but a very honest way. So if somebody is doing something, I will point it out to them, but it's as an observation versus a judgment. I really try to check myself on, on judgments. I'm also an addict myself. I am just a human. So if someone notices something that they are, that, that is continuously uh, having them react that I am doing personality wise to let me know. And we could see if that's a make or break or if it's something that I want to consider to change in my own behavior, because my sponsees are also my powers outside myself as well, which helps me with the program. Another set of questions is um, through another pamphlet, an OA pamphlet called Sponsoring Through the 12 Steps. And so they ask questions at the end of every step. And so that's really helpful. And usually I will, when, after those first 30 days, those first 30 questions, and if someone doesn't have the literature that is requested, I will send it to them. Lack of money should never be, be uh, a deterrent, you know, but also keeping in mind that like still cheaper than my last binge, the cost of, you know, some of these materials. So, but I will leave it there. And, um, and then we go through the, um, the steps together, the literature together after that point.
0: Thank you, panelists. Now for our fifth question: How do you work the steps with your secular sponsors, especially with regard to the traditional twelve-step concept of God or higher power?
1: So I, my sponsor in OA was also in AA, um, so she was kind of my sponsor in both. She's not the sponsor I got sober with. So we worked the steps traditionally out of the big book and that's how I work the steps with my sponsees as well so we usually meet once a week for an hour and I have them read the step in the OA 12 and 12 on their own then we talk about anything that they identified in that reading and then we read the big book together and I'll point out because it's not as evident in the big book where the steps are or what the steps are so we'll talk about the literature and then we'll work the steps through reading the big book and then as far as God and higher power so when they got my sponsees are all secular and when they get weirded out by God in the big book I often just remind them that Bill W was doing acid when he developed his concept of spirituality And so even though they tend to see it through a Judeo-Christian lens, it's often psychedelic influence. And I think that that helps them let go of some of that a little bit. But then as far as steps one through three, for me, step two is about hope. Um, I think that's why meetings are so important, because you go to meetings and you see people who struggle in the same way that you do, and people who are now living differently. And so for step two, it's really going to meetings and it's coming to believe that there is, there's a different way to live and the recovery is possible. Um, And then step three is prioritizing recovery as number one, because if we don't put that first you know, we're not going to be able to show up for our families, we're not going to be able to show up for work in the way that we want to. So step three is really just saying that my recovery is going to be my top priority. And I'm going to be willing to do whatever it takes. And so that can be taking various suggestions, trying different things and trying things that you might not, you know, buy into at first. A lot of times, I think it's just, um, Having an open mind and a willingness. And then um, the longer I've been in program, the more turning it over has become essential to my sanity. But when I first was working the steps, that wasn't as um integral for me. Thanks.
2: Hey, this is Patrice again. Um, so Every time I've worked the steps or worked the steps with a sponsee, I've used either the 12 and 12 and all the questions in there, the OA 12 and 12 and all the questions in there, or this guide called Lori's way of doing the steps. And, you know, neither of them have a specifically secular approach. So (laughs) um, when I did work the steps with uh, a secular sponsee, we spent plenty of time theorizing, because i'm i'm i feel like i am pretty agnostic in my understanding of higher power you know i wrote a want ad but it's certainly not defined in any judeo-christian kind of way and i don't expect anyone to have a certain type of higher power that i'm um, sponsoring but i love philosophy i'm a musician and used to be an athlete and i love a good chant of we've got spirit. Yes, we do. We've got spirit. How about you? And so, <laughs> you know, we, I spent plenty of time just like, Oh, what if it, you know, like higher powers like this or like that. And, you know, honestly, now that I look back on, on that time, we always ended up going, well, it's not something we can define. So, you know, I love what I heard at, I think one of the secular meetings I was at where someone said uh, higher powers an outside issue, right? Like, um, I do feel like it's important, and I share it with sponsees, whether they're secular or not, that I think it's important to recognize that recovery is about a balance of recognition of needing help, not being able to do life alone, and being willing to ask for help. And also the importance of, of personal empowerment of, of doing the footwork, as, as they often say, right? So, um, you know, I'm open to whatever, whatever that looks like for any sponsee I'm working with. I'll pass.
3: Hi all, this is Sarah again. Um, so, there's three things that I keep in mind when working the steps, um, particularly around a higher power issue. One of them is that I try to remind people that although there is a unity in the fact that we are all, we all admit we have this addiction and we all are working the steps, at the same time, there are as many ways to work the steps as there are people in OA. So, I try to encourage personalization. I make them, even though this is technically outside literature, I think I, I try to make them aware of the fact that there are lots of alternative 12 steps and to read those and maybe even encourage them to write, to take a stab at writing their own version. Cause I think at this point um, I think there's something in the big book that says like the hoop to jump through is really wide or something like that, like for finding a higher power. So my attitude is whatever it takes to just get to the, the spirit, not the letter of, of finding one is, is the important thing. So personalization. And then the second thing is that from not from the very beginning, but I'd say from a couple months in, I try to encourage them that the steps are not linear per se, and that steps 10 and 11 in particular are just a great practice to be a good human even outside of people who have addictions so you know finding ways to keep up with sending gratitudes and or just writing them out for yourself um meditating or whatever your whatever you would consider a spiritual practice i say to my sponsees you know um spiritual in the way that you define it just something that makes you feel elevated above your ego like that those are good things to do as just a practice and a thread through your life and they're going to make recovery easier um so steps 10 and 11 as being like self reflection about how your days were and how your progress is going and then ways to connect beyond yourself. And then the third thing is that if they're really struggling, different personalities are more willing to accept the idea of a mystery as a higher power. And I think for some people it's tough. Like they just, they really don't like that. The idea of not being able to define it. So if they're struggling with that, um, I usually tell them that at least for me, I try to think of it kind of like the wind, like you can't see the wind, you can't really define it. You see it because of how it manifests in the things it blows and the impact it has. So I tell them, do the footwork and look for the impact in yourself and the reverberations in your world. And you don't necessarily need to know what caused it, or how to define it, but just look for the impact it's having on you. And that's probably enough, especially for a start. So um, I'll
4: pass. Thank you all. I just, uh, just to reflect a little bit, like the, the, I never heard about Bill Wilson being on acid, but that makes a lot of sense now that I think about it with the big book. Sorry. But if someone is agnostic, you know, I try to point out to them that there is tons in the, both in the OA approved literature and if they're interested in hearing about non OA approved literature um, and other resources, podcasts, different meetings, you know, I do encourage them go to secular OA meetings and, um, and you'll be able to hear that. And then also a lot of different other resources that are available, but to keep it centered on the OA approved um, literature and resources. There's, there's a pamphlet called What If I Don't Believe in God? So I encourage them to get this, the pamphlet and to read it themselves. Um, so it is an official OA pamphlet. Also reading in Roseanne's story in the uh, Brown book, uh, the second edition, she talks about how she didn't believe in God and how she, when she first started OA or her version of OA as a co-founder, adamant and defiant, I proceeded to re- remove the, God, the word God and all mention of spiritual concepts from the rest of the steps. So OA was not started as a I mean, you know, in theory, OA was not started as a religious program, Uh, pointing out to them. Also in the first 30 questions, question 14 is to read part of the OA 12 and 12, uh, which goes on to step two, which I really, I really prefer. I kind of see Bill W. as the, as the dad and Rosanna as the mom. And so I'm like, all right, put dad's stuff down and let's pick up mom's stuff because it's a lot more gentle and nurturing and read about step two. And then in one of those questions, it says um, reflect and write about the differences between religion and spirituality and define, excuse me, describe what you mean by a power greater than yourself. Now going back to the big book, I have them read appendix two, which is called a spiritual experience. And it explains um, a lot better than I ever could about the difference between the spiritual experience and the spiritual awakening. Also, there's two stories that are uh, that I encourage folks to li- to read at some point. One is Listening to the Wind, which was written by a Native American. And the second one is The Vicious Cycle, which is the person who um, was the reason why it says in the steps as we understand him, because this person was one of the key members, um, initial members, and he was a, an atheist. And it ticked a lot of people off, <laughs> and they couldn't figure out, like, why are you still like sober? And, the, and so, you know, being able to, to, um, to conceptualize that, you know, taking what we want and leave the rest, that's something I also really encourage just as a philosophy.
0: Thanks. Thank you all. Now we're moving on to the sixth question. How do you prepare your sponsees to be sponsors?
1: Um, I mean, the biggest preparation is working steps with them. From the very beginning, I have them write notes in the margins when we're reading through the literature together, specifically in the big book. Like, okay, this is referring, this paragraph is talking about step, you know, step seven, step eight. So from the very beginning, they're taking notes. And then I start as soon as they have stable abstinence and and recovery you know, I let them know pretty early on, I'd say around steps anywhere from six to nine, that they should start thinking about sponsoring. My sponsors have been very hesitant to sponsor because they haven't felt ready. And I think part of that is, it was their first time through the steps. When I started sponsoring, I had done the steps several times prior to that. And I was just more familiar with the 12 step program, but I also just let them know, like they're not gonna make or break someone's sobriety or abstinence. And it's recovery is different for each of us. So, you know, as someone said before, I think the most valuable role of a sponsor is sure, you can read the literature with them and go through the steps, but it's really being an anchor to the program a witness and just someone to be like, you know, When my sponsors call me and they're like, I just stuck this thing in my mouth. I don't know why I didn't call you beforehand or I don't know why I did this. It's like, honey, you did it because you're an addict. (laughs) You're a compulsive eater and that's what we do. And just to give that reassurance and that love. I mean, that's to me what has been most powerful working with my sponsors. Um, And so really that's, love and kindness is the greatest gift I feel like I can give to my sponsees and you know as soon as they are ready to give that to someone I think that they're ready to start sponsoring and then the logistical stuff we can just work through that as it comes up you know um so they're all just in the beginning of sponsoring people right now but they call me with questions say what did we do for sub two and then we talk about the more specifics thanks
2: Hey, it's Patrice again. So I encourage uh, I encourage sponsees to be of service any way they can while honoring their boundaries. So you know, um, from the beginning, feel free to start uh, helping out, hosting meetings in any way that you can. Um, and and then as they um, as they work through their steps to just be open to others asking them for help just be willing to hear that um, others you they may have what other people want and other people may want to know how they're getting it and um remind them that it's okay for them to say no if it's not feeling like a, a good fit but also um to be okay with saying yes and knowing that uh they can't work any harder at someone else's recovery than that person is working on their own recovery you know that it they're not responsible for the other person's recovery um I, you know my own experience has been i've had more sponsees that didn't finish the steps than that did and so that's my experience to share with them and um yeah i mean i think just reminding them too that it's not just because we've worked through the steps the the relationship isn't over, so I'm still there to help in whatever way I can and um, I hope I hope they they get as much benefit out of it as I can as I do Thanks.
3: Hi all this is Sarah. Um, So as far as prepping a sponsee to sponsor, to be perfectly honest I haven't gotten that far with the sponsee that I've had thus far. Um, One thing that I will say that I've, I've tried to keep that end goal in mind with sponsees from the very beginning is, and this is something that only they themselves can fully assess is to try to help them recognize if they're still in like that emergency mode thinking that characterizes early at addicts where we're just in the swirl of chaos that's caused by by our behaviors and our addiction, or are they have they moved into some sanity where service is is possible where intentional service is possible. I think a lot of times there's, you know, grace to be found where even people who are fully in the addiction can still be of service uh, in ways that they may not even realize just by showing up at meetings and sharing. But as far as intentional service like sponsorship or being an action buddy or something like that, um, or speaking at a meeting, those are things that I try to ask them even before the question itself comes up, you know, where are they feeling? And this is where it helps for them to stay in step 10 and 11 from the beginning and to be doing that day-to-day reflection of like, you know, okay, where am I in my recovery today? Where could I do better tomorrow? Where did I do really well today? Um, and I think that that kind of self-reflection that's consistent as a thread throughout their lives tends to naturally lead towards being ready for sponsorship um, so that they're ripe. They're they're ripe and they're the kind of person that someone would ask. Um, the other thing I tell them too is that there are personality traits, whether it's age or whatever the case may be. I have a very young sponsee right now, and she wonders if she could possibly be ready to sponsor anyone, even if we finish the steps. And I tell her, age has nothing to do with it. There's a degree of maturity in program. I've seen people who are about her age, like 25 or 26, sponsor someone that's twice their age, just because they have a lot of wisdom in the program. Um, and it goes both ways, you know. There's a lot of it's funny the things we find that we have in common. So I try to tell them to keep an open mind about who they can be of service to and to look for ways to do that in small ways and let sponsorship grow as a natural outgrowth. But just to keep an eye out um, for the time being if they're out of the emergency mode of the addiction to just how can I be helpful to people and how can I especially encourage newcomers to keep coming back, even if it's just sending a quick text of welcome or something like that. Um, So I'll leave it there. Thank you.
4: This is Stacy. Um, yeah, so much that was shared before um, are similar things that I do. Um, just trying to be that that uh, kind and loving sort of source for the person because that's a scary thing. I don't. I don't think I've really ever had a sponsee who hasn't been really scared about sponsoring and feeling like they're going to fail and and a lot of what ifs. So doing that kind, encouraging. Um, also, uh, you know, encouraging them that, um, uh, they will not make or break a sponsee's success because I didn't make or break their success. I don't feel that I did. Um, it was their level of commitment and their level of service and how they use their tools. Um, so I'm just one tool out of those nine. And, um, and they're going to mess up just like I did. <laughs> and if they forget what I did, um, I have them go back to their fourth step and look at all the resentments that they had to me. Um, And uh, also, you know, just trying to give them those stretch goals like this is good for your recovery. You know, a lot of the um, what's in it for them, Um, but also to help further dispel that perfectionism that I have that I've noticed um, very, uh, with a lot of folks in program, um, that's my bird clock. So I apologize (laughs) for the mockingbird, Um, but uh, encouraging them to offer, uh, thats that I think is the biggest hurdle is offering to be a sponsor, Um, not just being mentally ready is offering. It may not be picked up by anybody else, but saying I'm an available sponsor is the biggest step
0: thank you secular sponsors now we'd like to open up for questions for our panelists and we will continue to have a two-minute time limit for sharing so who would like to ask our panelists a question
5: hi i'm jenny sugar addict and compulsive eater thank you all four of you for speaking today it's really so interesting to hear everyone's process This is not an official OA event, and also when people work with their sponsees one-on-one, they don't really have to, you know, they can work outside the rules. So I would like to know what outside literature you recommend that helps people with their secular recovery.
1: So I've worked one breath at a time, which is a Buddhist way through the 12 steps with a sponsee before. And then... um, I've done the little book of alternative steps and then Russell brand has a book that one of my sponsors has done, but like someone else said, we also, I have all my sponsors rewrite the steps to, to make sense to them and feel good to them. So whatever book they want to do, you know, I, I do the big book, but then on top of that, any book they want to do, we'll do.
2: Um, this is Patrice again. And uh I you know I haven't really thought about this I guess it hadn't come up as um as much as just conversations and working through the steps but that's a great question and you know one outside source that I have shared with a 12 step group I've just been working with myself to work through the steps uh recently was taken from a Brené Brown podcast called Unlocking Us And another book that just popped into my head, as you asked, was um, a Bill Bryson book called A Brief History of Nearly Everything, where um, he discusses science in a very uh, everyday language um, way that I found made me feel really connected and really spiritually elevated. You know, like sort of the wonder of how small I am in comparison to the universe and how tiny the scale of existence gets in terms of atoms. And, um, so I, I love both those things.
3: I just threw my, um, what I'm going to say into the chat, if you'd like to copy any of them, but basically, um, I use this yellow little yellow book called The Little Book of Alternative 12 Steps. It's beautiful and fascinating, um, mind-opening. And something that my sponsor recommended to me recently that really blew my mind also, um, I think it's a great resource for anybody who's struggling to accept that they may have had some trauma in their past that is con- is contributing to their addiction, even if they had what may have looked on the face of it like a, a pretty happy childhood, that there may be something that they're discounting is a book called The Drama of the Gifted Child, I forget the name of the author, but I, I found it on Amazon or any of the other booksellers. And then the last thing I'd say is that, um, I part of my spirituality as an alternative to anything involving a being is anything that involves the Enneagram. If you've ever heard of that, it's, um, you can Google it. There are online tests that are not as accurate as kind of reading about it, but basically the notion that it has a very different view of how we see like quote unquote character defects it thinks of them as more like character traits that have been twisted or maladapted and that we turn back toward the good and that the goal of human existence is to try you might be one of the nine enneagram types and the goal is to break through addiction in order to be able to access all nine types, all nine ways of being. Um, And that when we're able to be all these different ways in the world, that that's, that's what a higher power could look like. It's humanity being able to access all the different ways of being that are just, you know, the better ways of being not our lower selves. I don't know if I explained that very well, but it's, it's really beautiful. And it felt very spiritual to me in a way that's not (laughs) God-ish.
4: outside literature that I also use is pretty much anything that anyone can get. Um, the, what has been mentioned is really great. There's, um, the, uh, 12 step Buddhist, uh, book, which I found particularly helpful. I tried to sponsor from a secular Buddhist perspective, um, and also, you know, encouraging, uh, outside resources, therapy, um, I'm okay with medication. I'm okay with, you know, um, with using any kind of, um, uh, I'm a scientist by trade. So any science-based approaches, anything that shows up in the literature, you know, I had somebody ask me recently, like, how does this work? And, um, and, uh, there's a lot of, of psychology literature that's, that supports, um, that connection and the social connection and the in the transcendence that comes from that has been so effective uh with addiction counseling itself. Um and uh and also you know um some of the outside literature that was also mentioned I feel has been really good. And then also really just uh I do mention a lot of Brene Brown um and I also mention a lot of uh the Buddhist um perspective of Thich Nhat Hanh. And Noah Rachetta, uh, who's secular Buddhist, he has a podcast, and then also Pema Chodron uh, is one of my favorites. So those are some of the things that I've mentioned. Thank you. My name is Sarah, compulsive reader Anorexic and Bulimic. Um, so I am uh, non-secular, but I sponsor someone who is
6: secular, and I I'm just I'm coming here to learn more about it. But my question is. So in the early parts
4: of my recovery, if I had a sponsee that was secular, I don't know what I would have done with that person because my mind was so closed. But later on, as I got more recovery, my mind opened up, and I've been able to you know work with this person. So I would ask the four panelists: uh, Do you have people that you sponsor, sponsor that are non-secular, and that um, how do you you know how do you deal with them? What do you do with them? The same kinds of things that you do with
6: your
1: secular sponsees or something different? All of my sponsees have been secular, although I have a, um, I do have a sponsee who's religious. Um, she just doesn't believe necessarily that the God that she believes in is going to be her source of addiction recovery. You know, when it comes to the higher power stuff, I think what's important is that food is not the higher power and that weight loss is not the higher power. And beyond that, it doesn't really matter. It's kind of like the placebo effect. It's the act of believing that's important. And anything beyond that is really irrelevant. So I don't even think it's necessary to go there um, personally.
2: Hey, it's Patrice and, um, I haven't had to deal with, um, I haven't had to, I haven't had communication with anyone that is, you know, so traditionally religious that the, you know, the difference between my approach and theirs was glaring, uh, and, and so I, I really wouldn't know how to answer that other than to say, I hope, I would hope that, um, that by being honest about my understanding of spirituality and um, and higher power, that it could, it could work. It could, um, it could give them enough faith in this program. And, and, you know, there are places in the literature where it discusses having a sort of traditional faith, but that, that um, for whatever reason, wasn't working for someone and that a spiritual awakening was necessary. and um, And maybe just that, um, you know, acknowledging step one, that there's a certain level of desperation that something could possibly change in, you know, do you feel like you're here because you're looking for, uh, you're open to something slightly different than what you've been working on, or maybe completely different than what you've already had faith in and believed in. Um, Yeah, I hope that helps.
3: Hi, Sarah. This is Sarah also. Um, I love that question, mainly because both of my sponsors that I've had have not been secular, although they've been I, the main thing that helps me and that helps me with religious people in my life, even outside of program is just the feeling that or not even religious, I'll say, but people with a notion of God as a being is just the feeling that they are approaching me with curiosity and Openness and that they're not coming at me with an agenda other than to be helpful. Um, and that has been true of both of my sponsors that in cases where I'm approaching it differently than they do, there's a humility where they will, they will ask me with genuineness, you know, I've never worked with it like that before to tell me more about how you're doing that is how can I support you? And in some cases, um, one thing that we've agreed on, me and both of my uh, non-secular sponsors is that um there's this parable that we all really like um the parable of the blind men and the elephant and I feel like it applies here in either direction um and I should say by the way I have had non-secular sponsees and we, we I share them with them this parable too where the elephant is being touched by all these blind people who can't possibly grip the whole animal um all they feel is a piece of it and they do feel a piece of it it's they have a piece of the truth of what the animal is but it's only a piece of it and so that's how we try to see it in program is that it may be that the way they're describing it to me sounds like something I disagree with that. There's no Venn diagram overlap, but that's just on the surface that underneath it, they have probably a lot of nuggets of truth. And so do I, and, and that's okay. We, and we describe it in different terms because associations are powerful among human beings. And and sometimes people need to call a thing, something else, um, in order to feel comfortable approaching it. I think, um, I hope that makes sense, but that's, that's how I approach it is just with a certain gentleness and, um, And with my non-secular sponsees, they know that I'm not, I make it very clear, I'm not opposed to them working a non-secular program. I don't think I've got the corner on truth here. It's just what I'm comfortable with. Um, So I commend you for doing that because I think, I think if more people were able to be open to secular sponsorship, there would be more sponsors available for secular folks. So thank you.
4: Well, thank you everyone. And Sarah, thank you for that question. Um, uh, It means a lot me that you asked that question, that you're, that you have that courage to, to sponsor folks who are not, um, who are secular. And, um, so for me, um, you know, I, I, try to take stuff from, um, from some of the literature that does over overlap. Um, you know, the, in the big book, it talks about the, um, you know, the, the, room is is it's um the way is roomy all-inclusive and so um my first sponsor like I shared before was part of a I believe it was a Hindu-based faith my second sponsor was Quaker my third sponsor um is Catholic um and I um you know I I was also raised Christian um which is part of the reason why I'm secular to be honest was was my experience with that but um But, you know, everybody's got great ideas. And so I try to to encourage um, my sponsors or my sponsees who have been uh, religious to, you know, look at the values that they're trying to hold on to and that they have described God to be there for them. And what embodies that to them? That is it certain passages of their religious texts? Is it certain authors? Is it certain speakers? Is it, you know, and to take that information and also to encourage them to reach out to folks who, um, who work a religious program and to, um, to talk to them. Um, So seek inside, seek, seek outside. Um, And I, I mean, that's, that's kind of the same that I do with, with all of my sponsees, regardless of whether they're religious or not is to seek internal and external uh, resources to help them along the
0: way. It's a good question. Thank you. Mike, your question, please. Good afternoon.
2: My name is Mike Bacino, and I am a compulsive eater. This is my first meeting. And uh, I want to thank the panelists and the organizers for you know your, your life energy and your contributions. Um, you know, as somebody who's new to this community, um, what would you recommend as my next step to simply learn more and immerse myself in this community and find a sponsor?
1: I also am a big proponent of 30 meetings and 30 days when you're first starting. I also return to that when I'm struggling with the food. So actually, right now I'm doing 30 and 30. Um, So I think the best way to familiarize is meetings, um, asking questions. I'm also kind of traditionalist and like making three phone calls a day. I find very helpful. And on those one-on-one phone calls with people, you can learn a lot about the program. And then, of course, you can start reading the literature, although I find that that's most useful to do with with someone else, um, either in a big book study or with a sponsor. So I would say meetings and phone calls would be where I would start.
2: Thank you, Megan. Hi, Mike, welcome. Yes and yes, meetings and phone calls. See if you can get to at least six different ones. There's never been a better time to uh, reach different meetings because if you go to type in OA find a meeting, And then your time zone, it'll tell you meetings happening throughout the world that are uh, and and list them in your time zone. So you can very quickly and easily find a meeting. Um, I mean, it might be great to also try and get to some local meetings because you might make, uh, you know, connections that you otherwise. Yeah, I mean, any meetings. And and I love that idea of phone calls because um, that personalized connection I can I remember very clearly somewhere right around the first six meetings I went to or maybe it was within the first six months I was in the program I uh, a lot of the meetings I went to and I really encourage you to try and participate in this if some of the meetings you go to have this would have a phone list and so you could just type your name in the chat and say please call me this week and then uh, as the weeks went by I realized hey they're asking for someone to take that phone list I can be the one calling all those people And so, um, that's a great tool. And one of those calls that, um, I, I got this incredible connection with someone. I spent probably an hour on the phone with them and just heard exactly what I needed and felt like they were getting something from it too, talking to me. And, um, and then I didn't know who that person was for like months. I kept like thinking, is that the person, but the voice wasn't quite right. And then finally, months later, I connected with the person again. It was such a great feeling. So I hope you get that same experience. Thank you, Patrice. Some, you know, question in the chat, you know, as you just literally said, please call me and put your number and received calls. Uh yeah well a lot of meetings have what's called a phone list and and often they'll just put people's phone numbers in the chat as a way of saying if you'd want to reach out to this person feel free and I'll actually put my phone number in the chat and you're welcome certainly to call me. Thank you Patrice.
3: Hi Mike welcome um it's so nice to see a newcomer um newcomers are the lifeblood of program because they um not because we have an agenda for newcomers, like I said, everybody does it differently, but I think that it they're really special because they remind us especially those of us who have been around a while that we all do it differently and that we all need different things, especially in the beginning. But there are certain things about addiction that are just across the board that where we can relate. When a newcomer shares, we all find ourselves nodding our head and being like, man, yes, I, I know what that feels like um, in a way that just doesn't happen outside of program, I, I find. So as far as that's such a great question, what to do first. Um, I think one of the things is being proactive about making yourself known, which is what you're doing right now. I think that's wonderful um Thank every you. meeting especially online allows people to, to sit back and just listen if they want to because there's no pressure to participate but I would definitely urge you if you want to get a sense of the community of fellowship that's available um anytime they ask if there are newcomers there definitely raise a hand and let, make yourself known and and if you get to a point where you're looking even for a temporary sponsor I would say also make that known because um I think a lot of people myself included are loath to to throw it out that they're willing to sponsor a specific individual because it feels a little too proselytizing, um, but they want to make themselves available to those who say that they are in need of that so um there's a lot of support to be found in these rooms and even outside of them um unlike with like you know telemarketers or people out in the world i find that i get shy about phone calls but most people in oa if you call them and their name's been on a phone list they're very happy to hear from you um and very happy to talk or share what experience strength and hope they have in the program um so that's the main thing i would say and if um Meetings are such a challenge right now, I think, with COVID, but I think in some ways doing it online is a nice way to meet people in OA from all over the world. Um, so it's both a blessing and a curse. Um, so I would definitely recommend checking out both secular meetings. And if you feel comfortable, maybe even some traditional meetings, if only to get a sense of what's the spectrum of how people work this program. And you, you're welcome to choose whatever works for you. That's the, that's the grace and the gentleness of what this program is about. Um, so yeah, welcome. Keep coming back.
4: Yeah, Mike, welcome. And uh, that's a really great question. And so, you know, to, uh, as was mentioned before, meetings, the phone, myself, as long, I don't don't think I've met anybody in program who is very hesitant of using the phone um, at first, you know, what do I say? Like, what do I do? And so what if they don't answer? And so I, I encourage folks to use the phone and say, you know, if they do answer, hey, I got your number from a meeting, don't have to say what kind of meeting, if they ask or whatever, you know, or if you're leaving a voicemail, then they'll, if they're interested, they can call or text you back. I do encourage calls, not just texts, because of how passive that is. And if it goes to someone's voicemail, then to leave a message, and that hesitancy of well, what if they don't answer. Uh, or what if I'm calling them at a bad time? If you're calling them at a bad time, they're not going to (laughs) answer. And so, you know, it seems very intimidating at first. Um, And so that's where, as was mentioned before as well, the grace and compassion comes in. This is an extremely difficult thing to admit to. It was an extremely difficult thing to admit to myself that I needed to go to, that I had this and I needed to go to something else that I couldn't just read or research or whatever. And so recognize that that just being here is a really hard thing. And sometimes that's all someone can do that whole day. And so being, you know, for myself, encouraging that person to, you know, we have a slogan just for today, which, or one day at a time, what have you, like, if that's all that I can do in one day, then... Who can tell me that that's enough? Who can give me that acceptance until I can accept it myself? And that's where I feel that a sponsor comes in.
0: Thank you. Bud, your question, please.
1: I came into way uh,
3: approximately 40 years ago and thumped it out for 20 years. Until I got to the point where, I don't mean this in a sarcastic way, but I, I, I just stopped believing in a mystical deity. You know, I believe in science. It, it just doesn't make any sense anymore. And so when I've come back in, well, I got 27 meetings in so far. So three more would be 30. I need, I need a sponsor to, to guide me through the, the uh, program again. But How do you do that? I mean, is, it, how do you, is there a list of phone numbers or
1: stuff? I'm sort of like what he was saying in there. But uh, where do I get that? Yeah,
0: sure. that's a very uh open-ended question maybe if just one of the sponsors could answer because we're a bit pressed for time and you can you're welcome to stay afterwards for socializing and then you know, we can talk about the rest
2: um if if no one else wants to i'll quickly answer that um there are lists of uh of sponsors available um i recently signed up for a virtual sponsor you know, offering. And uh, and also doing what you just did, you know, just saying I'm ready to reach out is is the the step. man. Good job.
1: I would just add really quickly. I mean, don't be afraid to ask someone to sponsor you, even if they haven't raised their hand as a sponsor. They can say no, but it never hurts to ask.
0: Now it's time to end the Q&A. Thank you for everyone who participated. We hope you've enjoyed today's presentation and that it is the first step towards encouraging you to think about sponsoring. If you'd like to hang out afterwards, please stay for general fellowship hosted by me. Otherwise, we'll see you at the next event. Kevin had a question. I'm just going to read what he posted in the chat. My question to everybody is, do we OA think we are losing people due to lack of secular sponsors? Yes. Yeah, just to
7: share. <laughs> absolutely. And I was gonna give the example of that and like the sort of the preface to Jeffrey Munn's book Staying Sober. He talks about being a 20-year-old alcoholic going to AA meetings. And he lasted about six months and he just couldn't take the God thing anymore. And so he went away and he managed to stay sober for whatever, another six months or a year. Maybe a couple of years. You know, and in my observation, I would have just seen that as a 20 year old not ready for recovery. But, you know, he, he did come back and he did get the program, but he, he genuinely had God issues as opposed to just merely being 20 years old and not ready. And, um, I never would have spotted that had I not read it in his book. You know, I, I would have always assumed, Oh, they just weren't ready. And so I'm wondering. One of my many misbeliefs, and I thought I'd check that one. Thanks.
3: I was just going to say, I put this in the chat, too, but I wholeheartedly agree that I think that not having secular sponsors, um, and this is why I still go to regular meetings sometimes, not just secular meetings. I think that there are a lot of people who don't know about secular OA, or it might be that they, so I'll, I'll tell you guys, I'm the speaker seeker for one of the meetings, and it's actually really hard to find people outside of my little meeting group, because when I go to people that I know from traditional OA, some of whom I'm pretty sure from their shares are actually secular, if I call it out and say, are you willing to speak at a secular meeting, they kind of recoil, because they're not ready to call themselves that. But in fact, that is kind of where they stand personally, You know if that makes sense. So I feel like there's a lot of people who would make perfectly good, probably excellent sponsors for those who are seeking a more non-traditional approach to working the steps. And it's just not in the repertoire of, uh, or the rhetoric of what people talk about as much. Um, and that example you mentioned, Kevin, is really poignant um, as an example of it.
1: I think another component too with away in general so for instance like I'm I have sobriety from drugs and alcohol um and that's you know perfect sobriety I haven't relapsed but that's not what my food looks like and I can't explain that except for food is just different um so like I don't have perfect abstinence and I think a lot of people um have similar stories but they don't feel like they can sponsor without that perfect abstinence um, so also, I I think just in general, in OA, there's also a lack of sponsors compared to other programs. Um, and I think part of that too is also in, and we didn't talk about this today, but like in other programs, you talk about sponsorship. I get way more out of sponsoring than my sponsors get out of it. I'm doing that to keep myself abstinent, not to get them abstinent. And so, but there doesn't seem to be that same urgency. Necessarily in OA as in other programs of like I have to sponsor if I want to stay abstinent, which I think is something
4: that we can work on as a community. Just share a, a personal experience that I had. You know, I I, I also full heartedly agree and. And so I'm trying to, I try to be very vocal about the fact that I am an atheist and agnostic person. I've been in OA for as long as I have and still making it work, you know, and um so that is possible. But I went to an OA, an official OA event, and at one point someone was holding up um a religious text out of, out, you know, out of any kind of religion or lack thereof, and so like, like my red flags went up and I was like, what are they doing? You know? And so I actually reached out to, and I find that it's, it's, it's important to me to also speak up when I feel that the traditions, because that is a tradition violation is mentioning outside literature, regardless of what it is, you know, with the official OA standpoint. So I reached out to that, to the host and said like this, you know, um, there needs to be, a respect of the traditions. And so I always try to educate um, other people on that as well, that that is an outside issue, just as
0: much as food is with a lot of people. So um, that was my experience. Thank you. Valerie, your question, please. I was wondering, as either a sponsor or a sponsee, is there, you know, they say help
4: with the steps, but it, it seems to me like the help that I need is help with learning new coping mechanisms, And is that part of the sponsorship relationship? Like, oh, I've got trouble dealing with resentment. What other ways can I do besides stuffing it down, for example?
1: I think as a sponsor, you also help remind your sponsees of the various tools. So, you know, that could be coming up with a plan of action. That could be I mean, it could be many different things. Yeah, I mean, I can't tell my sponsees what's going to work for them. Only they can discover what's going to work for them. I can share with them what has worked for me. And I can encourage them to talk to other members, to ask them what's worked for them. And I can remind them of the tools. And then I can guide them of how to work the stuff. So how to do an inventory to turn things over, to let go, to meditate, to write these things. But, you know, the individual is going to have to answer things for themselves. No one can answer those questions necessarily for you.
3: I would concur with that. Um, great question, Valerie. I think I've had a lot of people in my life who aren't in program who when they see things that I have to that not have to things that I've chosen to do as part of my abstinence, just out in the world, like if I'm out to dinner or whatever, and they ask me about it because they're curious. They're like, Oh, so the reason you're in that program is to lose weight. And I always say that's sort of a side effect. The big reason I'm there is because I, I want to build a life I don't have to escape from. I want to have a life where I'm not, shoving down my feelings until they're stuffed so far down I have to eat to avoid the accumulated pain but instead I'm dealing with feelings as they come up which is just what you're talking about like learning coping mechanisms along the way however imperfectly and um and sometimes I mean one of the real values to me of a sponsor or a sponsee for that matter is that when you're um talking to that person on a regular basis that's a person who can reflect back to you ways that you actually have made some headway, because it can be really hard to see it sometimes when you're just in the midst of it. And, um, and I think as we learn to cope, um, it can be tough coping with feelings at first, because when we put down the food, suddenly the feelings get a lot louder um, for a while. And then we learn how to cope with it in another way. That's not the food that's not numbing out the feelings and, um, and the tools, like I've been hearing um, from other speakers, the tools are a big way. Um, I think that, the steps themselves, like a staying in steps 10 and 11, as far as the self-reflection is a big way. And at first it can feel like a chore, but after a while it feels like just a new way of life. And you see yourself as being like a whole different kind of person.
4: Yeah. Just to piggyback off of that, um, the, you know, that, that's actually, that's actually why I was giving amends that this wasn't officially OA, but I love that this is available. Oh my goodness. Like, you know, I put down the food now what? now is everything else. And, um, so I encourage my sponsees and anybody to take what they can, you know, there, there's a slogan that's called take what you want, leave the rest. Well, there's a lot out there. And so looking toward other people, using the tools, using your sponsors, I, uh, I came in not because I was overweight. I was crazy in my head. And this was the last thing before I, I put myself in the inpatient treatment. So, you know, sharing those experiences, I think is really is really poignant to to saying just what what was food keeping me from? But thank goodness for the food, you know, that helped me survive. And until it didn't help me survive anymore. So now what? Yeah, it's a good question.
0: Thank you. Uh, Dragana, your question, please. Hi everyone. So my question is very similar
6: to the question that uh, was before me, but um, I have a little bit more to expand on. So I started attending um, OA meetings in December um, and started working steps on my own. Um, And it was the first three steps were very difficult for me because I didn't think I have a problem. There's always something else that I blamed it on, right? And then once I was, able to go over those three steps I the the four five six and seven step, just flowed in not that I rushed through them maybe I had I don't know like this is the first time in the program all around but um I feel like I'm on the step seven right now all on my own in a couple of months right so it's not a long time so what I don't have a sponsor, I'm actively searching for one. I just find a lot of obstacles, you know, time zones, uh, long distance, um, you know, th- there's, there's also the- an and availability of the sponsors. So my question is, <laughs> what, how would you feel about a person who has done seven steps in two months? And, uh, you know, like, what would you approach is if they had their own ideas of how to lead their own recovery. Because um, I've, so I am working through the book, Staying Sober Without God. And and the step seven is begin, began cultivating healthy behavior traits through constant positive behavior, okay? So one of those things I had to implement this week and was, I, I wanted to be braver like have more courage. And but I was plugged with the self-doubt that I couldn't admit to anyone. So I thought, oh my God, if I had a sponsor right now, I could I could tell them these fears. Maybe if I had a therapist too, I could, but you know, like it was one time thing. Um but yeah, so 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 if if you have a sponsor who have their own ideas about how their recovery should be and, and what they think of themselves. Like, what are the red flags
1: and and how would you deal with that? This is a tough question because on one hand, I think it's really important that we each find out what works for us and that we learn to trust our intuition and what feels good for us. On the other hand, I think steps one through three are really about coming to terms with we haven't been able to figure this out on our own. What we're doing is not working, and we need help. And that help comes in the form of listening to other people who who are a little bit farther along their journey than us and have figured out, re- have had some recovery, and being willing to try things. So I think accountability is absolutely necessary. I think relationships are absolutely necessary I don't think recovery happens in isolation so I think that whether you want to call it a sponsor whether you want to call it fellows fellowship it has to happen in the context of relationships um, and a willingness to try other things and to listen to people and you know the more recovery you have it turns into figuring out how to listen to your intuition and know when it's your ad addiction or your addicted brain speaking, or when it's that higher self that we're all striving for speaking. So, so I guess it's, it's a twofold answer. I don't think you can really work the steps by yourself in my experience. And also you should listen to
4: yourself and your recovery is going to be personal to you. Yeah. I just agree with everything that Megan said. And, and obviously your intuition has brought you to in in my mind your your intuition has brought you to asking that question so so that in itself is a is a leap of of courage and insight so trusting that and how how can I trust myself more that comes from the steps and and having a sponsor
3: well um i Dragana, I um, I think that's a really good question, and I commend the work that you've already put in. I, I was just reading Tradition 5 earlier today, and Tradition 5 that we share with uh, with AA and with all the programs basically says, uh, it remind- if I remember correctly, I think it's 5, it reminds us that The only desire or the only requirement for membership is the desire to stop eating compulsively, which means that we hold in highest regard that there are lots of ways to work program. And that even if somebody, including a sponsee, is doing something that we may or may not agree with as far as how they work a program, we don't force them to change it. So, for example, my sponsee, um, you mentioned time zones, my sponsee up until recently Um, She just moved to the UK, but she was 10 and a half hours ahead and had a really tough time, has had a really tough time getting to meetings because of a very difficult work schedule. And so a lot of what she does is with me and to some degree with fellows that she contacts over WhatsApp. And that's the main way we communicate is with WhatsApp audio notes and the occasional phone calls. Um, But as far as the fact that you've worked the first seven steps, if I were a a sponsor in that situation, I would probably... If only to get to know the person, I would probably ask them to kind of read to me as much as they are able or feel comfortable with how they got to that point, so that, so that I can essentially get caught up and just trust that if there are areas, blind spots that they may have missed, that they're ready to address at this stage. That that it would come up in the course of us sharing. But I agree with what I've heard so far that I think that there is a real richness that comes from sharing it with another person. And that person can be a sponsor or it can be another fellow when it comes to reading the steps to somebody. I I don't think there's anything that says it has to be with a sponsor that is like a permanent sponsor, but just with somebody else in program, I think would be, I think you would be likely to find it enormously valuable. But that being said, there is nothing that prohibits working it that way. I just think that there might be a richness that you might find in including another person, whether a sponsor or somebody else.
5: Hi, this is Jenny sugar addict, Compulsive eater. I would like to step in and just say that secular overeaters has been trying to address this problem of not having enough secular sponsors. And one of the things that we've been doing have been accountability buddy trainings. And this is where you find another secular person if that's you know the kind of person you want to work with to you know hook up and start sharing these things and it doesn't replace having a sponsor but at least it's another person that you can share with you know especially if you're talking about you know your how hard it is with your food and you know you'll get a different perspective and develop a closer relationship with someone in any kind of recovery, it takes more than just having a sponsor, you know, we're like a community. So the more people that you have that you can reach out to, the better. So you might, even if you can't find a sponsor right now, maybe try and see if you can, you know, start forming a closer relationship with someone in the program. I think just
1: to add to to what Jenny said, like my sponsor, um, unfortunately, went back out about six months ago, and I, it, I've i had a really hard time finding a new sponsor too. So I've kind of had um, a fellowship of sponsors, if you will. In some ways, my husband is an accountability partner with my food. Then I have fellows who I do, if I need to do a spot inventory that I do inventories with. So and it doesn't just have to be people in program, it can be relationships outside of program that fill that you know, any kind of mentor or people you look to. So it doesn't just have to be that traditional sponsor, sponsee relationship either.
0: I love the accountability buddy part in the fellowship too. So yeah. Okay. Any other questions, anything to add to that?
2: I wasn't sure if I wanted to take any more time, but I just noticed on pages 73 and 74 of the big book, it kind of addresses specifically step five in relation to having a sponsor or, not and so that might be a place to do some reading
0: any more questions comments anything you'd like to share um, just as a
6: follow-up to the accountability buddies' uh, information um how do we sign up
5: well uh, if you go to secularovereaters.org And you do a search for accountability buddies, you'll find some information about it. But we recorded the workshop we did so you could hear what happened. And basically, people just put an ad in the chat and they say, hi, I'm looking for an accountability buddy. I'm, you know, located in this time zone and I don't have a sponsor and I'd like to talk to somebody about the secular steps. I mean, you just kind of like write, you know, describe yourself or describe what you're looking for. And maybe people, you know, you might match up with them. So it's going to be like outreach on your part. There's not a list of people that say, I'm an accountability buddy. It's still going to be a little bit of work, but it'll be easier than finding a sponsor, I think.
6: I, so on every meeting that we that I attend to, people put a list, but it just feels like a, feel, uh, all of their phone numbers is available, of course, whatever, but it feels like it's a passive list. Doesn't ever feel that anyone ever reacts on it. Uh, so I, I think that's one of the problems of not having uh, in person meetings. But
5: yeah, I mean, I think and also when I'm talking about this, you know, this would be maybe something you'd want to look for if you're if you're a secular person, you would specifically put out in a secular meeting. So mm-hmm. I mean, there, I'm sure they could be accountability buddies in regular meetings as well. But if you're looking for, you know, secular, you need to you know, say you're a secular person because um, I mean, you know, if you feel uncomfortable with a lot of God talk, you don't want to get, you know, matched up with that. Zilly, you have your hand up. Zilly, I'm a compulsive overeater and a sugar addict. I just want to say thank you, everybody. I uh, this is my first time at a meeting with secular overeaters, and um, I I was in program for three years and didn't make it through the steps. Um, I got stuck on the language right in the middle, and I you know, kept trying to rewrite it and rewrite it, but I felt like I was trying to reinvent the wheel and seeing people here who've already been doing that work and knowing that I can work alongside you is, it's just, it's very heartening. Um, I've been back in program for for two months, going to meetings every morning. Uh, it's great with the Zoom and somebody in my home meeting mentioned your groups. I'm just thrilled to have found you and thank you everybody for your time and being here. Yeah. And if you, if everyone, if you're interested in secular meetings, a lot of our meetings are unregistered because they do use outside literature. And so to find out about them, you have to go to secularovereaters.org. There aren't that many secular meetings. And if you want to stay official away, when you go to the meeting list, there's a special focus and you can click on, there's a label that says atheist, agnostic, secular. And so that will bring up meetings. There are no secular meetings that meet in person. They're only on Zoom. We used to have some, you know, we don't have like a critical mass to sustain face-to-face meeting of atheists and agnostics. We used to have two of them. um, Megan was part of that in Emeryville, California, which is in the Bay Area. And we're not going to be meeting in person anymore. Most of our members now are from Zoom.
0: Thank you for joining us today. If you'd like to support our efforts, please visit secularovereaters.org and consider making a donation.